Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. This week, we're going to talk about sustaining a new series that focuses on women's issues. The 51% is a weekly news show run by French broadcaster France 24, which has been offering a platform to influential women and covering women's rights stories for the last 10 years. Host, creator and TV news presenter Annette Young joins us this week to talk about keeping the flame alive to run this show and why it's needed in today's world. It would be easy to lose hope and positivity with setbacks in women's rights around the world and increasing abuse towards women journalists. But even after a decade of running the show, Annette's passion is still burning bright. So how has she kept going for all this time? Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. Don't go anywhere. Annette, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming onto the show. Thank you, Jacob, for having me. You're the host and creator of um, a show yourself called The 51%, uh, run by France 24, where you work. Uh, tell us a bit about that show. What exactly does The 51% mean in relation to the show? It is a program about women who are reshaping our world. And obviously the title itself says a lot, The 51%, because demographically in many parts of the world, women make up 51% of the population. But when it comes to political representation, economic representation and so on, unfortunately, parity is, uh, doesn't exist in many, uh, many regions. Uh, as I would say, not just in, you know, people might think, oh, the global south, but actually right across the globe. I mean, even in countries such as the UK, Australia and France, there are many inequalities when it comes to how much we're paid, uh, in terms of uh, the levels of representation in the corporate world and also in the world of politics. So we focus on those themes. We also talk about what I would say are counterintuitive stories, stories that would challenge you as a viewer. And uh, when we are very fortunate to do so, we sometimes go abroad and actually go to various parts of the world. And for instance, we were in uh, South Korea recently uh, the news peg being that the country has the lowest fertility rate in the world and uh, it also has a very, well, what I, we would describe as an ultra-conservative government who has basically made feminism public enemy number one. So we went in there to have a look as to why such a nation which is viewed globally as a country which is very advanced economically, technologically and so on, when it comes to women's rights, is so behind the eight ball. That's fascinating. And this is a concept that you came up with 10 years ago for the show, right? That's right. In fact, just to give you a bit of the backstory, uh, France 24 is a global broadcaster. We broadcast now in four languages, English, French, Arabic and Spanish. The actual original idea was by a good friend of mine and fellow French colleague, Virginie Hertz, back in 2012, 2013, who came up with the idea of a women's show. And when you pitch a new show at France 24, the idea is to try and replicate it on other language channels as well. So she said, I want to do this in French. Would you be interested in doing this in English? And as I have told many people as I retell the story of the program's origins, initially I said to her, yes, I'm a feminist, but, you know, I know more about Palestinian factions than I do about issues affecting women's rights, primarily because I had until then been a Middle East correspondent. 
And she said, go away and read up about it. And I came back a week or so later, very, very much ashamed. Uh, Things such as the pay gap uh, and so on, I read up about. And I said, as a journalist, it's not so much being a woman, but most importantly, as a journalist, why aren't these stories getting the coverage they deserve? Because they are legitimate news stories. And I said to her, I'm, I'm in. Yep, sign me up. So we uh, did the first show in December 2013, and I'm thrilled to say that, you know, 10 plus years on, here we are. Uh, I would say that I would, well, we both thought at the time when we created the program that by this stage, or certainly five years ago, that we would be sharing the space with other similar type uh, programs, but sadly that doesn't appear to be the case. Just last year, we saw the closure of Jezebel, a long-standing feminist publication, and Galdem, an independent news website for women and non-binary people of colour. And it says it's vital that news organisations address this rollback of women's rights coverage. And the 51% has been a bastion of coverage for the last 10 years. It's a weekly slot in France 24's broadcast schedule, as well as its social media offering, dedicated to women who are shaping the world. It also puts out a handful of special episodes throughout the year. Now, there's been no shortage of gender topics at the top of the news agenda and public consciousness in recent times. The Me Too movement, the gender pay gap, domestic violence, reproductive rights, and so on. Having a dedicated show meant that France 24 could focus on exploring these delicate issues in depth. And it calls on fellow major broadcasters in the UK and the US to step up their efforts to cover these topics just as they've done. More importantly, it's not just that we're ghettoizing, for the want of a better word, all the women's stories in one into one program. But what has happened as a result is it's filtered through to our news coverage. Most of our executive producers, not surprisingly, mid-management, mid-level management tend to be women and they're very much across what we do and they will follow up with news stories or commission news stories in their own right. Uh, they'll ask us to provide material it is something which is at the forefront of our management and uh, I, I will say that is something that should be congratulated. But again, it's sad that we are the only network that's doing something like this. Yeah, for sure. But has it meant that you've had a particular audience who's going to care about you know, what you're reporting there? I think the problem for a global uh, network like us is that we don't have ratings as such. You know, we're not like a domestic media television outlet that can rely like you do in the US and Australia on Nielsen's ratings and, and you know see who's watching at what time and what goes down well we don't have that uh, facility right. sadly so in terms of our audience it's hard to say you know if you look at our um, social media surprisingly a lot of uh, our followers are actually men from Africa because France given its you know connection particularly with West yeah. Africa France 24 is actually very well watched in those regions So to me, I don't so much care as to who is watching it. What I do care about is, are they being challenged as a viewer? Are we making people rethink these very deeply held cultural biases that we have in terms of the role of women in society? Has it been hard for you personally? I mean, I know you've interviewed people who have been like raped, for instance. And, you know, one thing we've explored for sure is, is this kind of the toll that can have on reporters who are close to those stories and you know have you found it hard to pursue those stories yourself 
I would say not so much um, suffering from you know post-traumatic stress as a result of interviewing women as part of this program. As a former Middle East correspondent, I would argue that was probably when I certainly did suffer from PTSD. Mm. But in this case, I think for me is just keeping up the energy because it is very hard to be constantly optimistic when you see that women's rights are not where they should be in 2023, Uh, that, again, as it seems to be, the world is shifting to the right, that the first uh, victim or the first thing that falls by the wayside tends to be women's rights. It's, you know, wrapped up with, you know, gay rights and so on and all part of the woke uh, you know, uh, approach, which is very, very disappointing and very depressing. Um, so that, to me, is is the biggest factor. It's keeping up one's positivity and, yeah. and such. What keeps you going, I guess, is my fundamental question here. What is it that keeps you doing this 10 years later? Because I believe that, uh, you know, to quote Antonio Guterres, gender equality is not a problem, it's the solution. Um, and I think we have the possibility at this point to push back against what effectively has become a rollback of women's rights because I feel passionate as a feminist. You know, it doesn't run as being contradictory to being a journalist because the other issue is are you an activist or are you a journalist? And my argument is, in my case, I'm a journalist who is also a feminist the way that I have brown eyes. It means that, um, but there's no doubt that there is a intentional feminist perspective in our work, and I, I would uh, find it very hard to uh, subscribe to uh, a value system that didn't promote equality for everybody. Right. Is there a particular story you found personally the hardest for you to pursue in the last ten years, doing the fifty-one percent? Uh, they, they all come with their levels of difficulty for certain reasons and so on. But I, I think for me personally, the most um, eye-opening was filming in Kentucky in October 2022 in the lead up to the uh, US midterms uh-huh. and where I ended up interviewing somebody, a married woman, a mother of three who'd been raped by uh, somebody she didn't know. Uh, uh, and went, decided to go public to the media, including us ourselves, to talk about that as she was a pro-choice activist and living in the state of Kentucky, what the rollback of Roe v. Wade meant for her. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I think for women in Europe and in the US and Australia and the UK, it's very easy to think, oh, yeah, we've got it good, you know, we're okay. Well, I think what happened in America with uh, the Supreme Court decision is to show how fragile our progress actually is and at a individual's whim can be rolled back like that and the consequences are enormous. So I thought her personal story was very moving. I also found it, you know, uh, it was very hard not to be moved as this woman stood in a park in the Louisville, the state Mm -hmm. capital of Kentucky, and talked about her experiences and why she did what she did and the dangers of going public in a very hostile environment when it comes to reproductive rights, you know, the the dangers of going public about her story. And uh, that indeed was uh, very, very uh, moving indeed. Yeah. How about the most personally gratifying story you've done? on the 51% over the last 10 years? Which one has maybe meant the most to you? I think so many of them do. (laughs) 
I, it's very hard to isolate a particular story, but I would argue any time we go out into the field, that to me is incredibly rewarding because mm-hmm. I'm meeting people on the ground, both men and women, doing their bit to promote equality. You know, we were in Senegal meeting reproductive rights activists, both women and men, and interviewing them. That was back in 2019. We went to interview, you know, the uh, woman president of Ethiopia, talking to her about uh, what it was like to be a woman in a very traditional patriarchal society as a head of state and what that meant. Yeah. Where do these kernels come from? They come from mainly me. (laughs) (laughs) Because... We are a very limited, uh, you know, team yeah. as such. I mean, it is me, myself and I with a technical producer and an EP and also my French presenter who's doing the same thing in French. Uh, South Korea for me came from an article that I read, I forget which newspaper it was. Um, in terms of Ethiopia, I had then seen the president being interviewed uh, on television. I thought, well, that's an amazing story to be told. And obviously with abortion rights, that story came from a small article, I think it might have been either in the New York Times or Washington Post, which was about the team of people in August 2022 had gone into Kansas and managed, as a result of the demise of Roe v. Wade, all of these American states or a number of American states pushed forward very quickly to implement an outright ban on abortion at a state level, and Kansas was one of them. And they uh, went to the ballot box within six weeks of Roe v. Wade being rolled back. And this team went in and basically turned the vote so that it ended up uh, that move was not passed. And I heard they were now moving to Kentucky who, and they were going to do the same thing in Kentucky. So that was the, the peg to the story. Um, yeah. So, you know, and as a result of being on the ground and not... It, only interviewing the activists, both from pro-choice movement, but also from the pro-life movement. So, the, so there's like an antenna in your head thinking, oh, that'll be a great uh, guess, that'll be a great segment for the 51%. Yeah, I think like any experienced uh, old hand like myself, <laughs> hopefully that antenna is working still. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever run out of ideas? No. no, never. How can you? When you're talking about 51% of the population who don't get the coverage they deserve. How do you keep yourself topped up with ideas then? How do you keep yourself you know, brimming with ideas and motivation to do this? I, you know, I, again, it's such an integral part of who I am and, and my value system that it's really not that difficult. No. I'm, you know, I'm constantly looking, reading, watching. People send me ideas via WhatsApp messages, emails. You know, I just got a message via Instagram today, a voice message for an idea. Is, is it cyclical in a sense that you do one and it rolls into another and it rolls into another and a contact of a contact gives you another? Um, sometimes, yes. But again, when the world is your backyard you know I mean the advantage of France 24 is we're a global broadcaster so we've got the expanse of eight billion people out there of which four billion are women and uh, so there's never a shortage of stories but there are themes that emerge and and as I was saying earlier the biggest theme being the danger to the rollback of women's rights which is now happening in various parts of the world. Give us for a moment 10 years of hindsight for a second if you were to do this again what do you wish you would you would have known 10 years ago that you know right now? I think, if anything, is underestimating the importance of what we do. And I know that, you know, I, I'm not a person who blows 
my trumpet or, you know, the trumpet of my organisation. But given we've witnessed the emergence of Me Too in 2017 and 2018 and five years on, it's still having a massive impact. In fact, we just did a special show last week on uh, a whole new wave of allegations in the French film industry. Um, And also what's happened to women's rights as a result. I mean, I thought it was... I always understood that it was going to be a bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of reporting on this issue, but I certainly never would have foreshadowed that we're now in a situation where abortion or reproductive rights are not a given. I would have thought that by now the gender pay gap would have closed or got close to being equal, which it hasn't, and obviously COVID and the pandemic had an impact on that as well. I would have thought by now that political representation would have been greater than it is, which it isn't. Um, And if anything, you've had the likes of people like Jacinda Ardern, who in a very high-profile resignation said, I don't have enough in my tank to do this job anymore, which is a very honest and a very Jacinda Ardern thing to do. But again, it's a reflection of what happens when women do put themselves in position of power um, and also, you know, the toxicity, the, the rise of people such as Andrew Tate, the fact that the Financial Times uh, reported the other week a horrific uh, study which is showing that there's a massive gender divide in attitudes between young men and young women under the age of 30 across the world. Um, that it's more likely young women will be more progressive in their outlook, whereas young men are becoming more conservative. What's gone wrong there? So... Looking back, what what would I have done? I wouldn't have done anything different, but I probably would have hoped that by now, a decade in, that things would have been on the up as opposed to where they are now. Journalists, of course, have not been immune to the rising toxicity and abuse aimed at women and particularly women of colour. The Chilling, a research paper by UNESCO and the International Centre for Journalists, revealed in 2022 that one in five women journalists internationally experience offline harm connected to online threats, abuse and harassment. Annette has experienced abuse herself. A key piece of advice for anyone launching a series like this is to anticipate backlash and put steps in place to protect themselves. And yes, in my case, definitely. I mean, I've stopped reading the YouTube comments on our page a long time ago because it's just full of vitriol and horrific insults. Um, one can only hope that... I mean, I, how do you address this? You know, what do you do? Well, obviously, newsrooms have to be more proactive in addressing it, so do uh, governments. Um, but we also need to look at education of boys, um, particularly adolescent boys, it's a stage of one's life where one is beginning to form a value system as such. Yeah. And, and it's not just reporting, you know, on misogyny and so on, but, uh, for instance, uh, a month or so after the war in Gaza began, I, as a former Middle East correspondent, obviously have an abiding interest in that part of the world, uh, brought on air two female activists, peace activists, one Palestinian and one Israeli. And... You know, they themselves, along with me, you know, faced inevitably a sort of string of comments and attacks online for daring to talk to one another and for me to have the audacity to bring these two women together. Um, But what I always try to do is, 
and I think I've done this always as part of my journalism, is to give a platform to people whose voices should be heard and are not being heard. Yeah. As we think about wrapping up here slightly, Annette, we've spoken a lot today, but, you know, is there a single piece of advice that you would give to someone listening in when it comes to really sustaining uh, an effort like this? Because it feels like the success of this show, although you've had your wonderful colleagues around you and wonderful management, a lot of it has also fallen on your own individual passion to you know carry this forward and it's and it feels and i can sense from today's conversation you know you're burning with passion for this topic so you know really when it comes to keeping that flame alive when it really comes to you know on a practical day-to-day setting what's your one top tip what is your one practical piece of advice for our listeners look after yourself <laughs> look after yourself <laughs> love it short and sweet uh, how do you look after yourself then? i think switching off at times i mean keep in mind that as well as doing this job i'm also a news presenter so you know i know what it's like to be in a 24-hour newsroom and dealing with the stresses of that and i'm very cognizant of the stresses that it, it you know, it has, the job has, that it's, uh, as you and I know, Jacob, this profession is a bit like joining a religious order. It sort of consumes your life. Um, And I, you know, and the pay is not great and the hours are long and the stress is high, but there's something which all draws us to this profession. And And makes it worth it. It really does. And it's about, you know, being curious and being passionate. Um, And... uh, I'm passionate about that curiosity, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I, I mean, do I or have I suffered from burnout? There was a period where I, I took, a, you know, six months um, off and, you know, literally just tried to switch off. But inevitably I was drawn back into the profession. <laughs> I've been part of it ever since. Yeah. Uh, but just be aware of the burnout signs, you know, and... Uh, yeah, but most importantly, self-preservation and do look after yourself, you know, uh, because the thing about journalism, it's a very self-centred profession. Uh, I would argue that we don't, for instance, make the best managers because we're very consumed with the, the task at hand and the notion of being aware of people around you or you're looking after the interests of your colleagues doesn't necessarily come to mind. So I think uh, that is something that I always argue that uh, being a journalist and a good manager is sort of an oxymoron at times. Um, But using that analogy, I would then argue equally it's about also looking after yourself. What about the flip side? What about the highs? Do you ever allow yourself to breathe in the moment after a really like good story and just to celebrate your win and say you know we did a good job there you know let's bottle that high oh absolutely I would say um you know uh my French colleague and I uh Virginie has since moved on into management she's been replaced by another lovely woman by the name of Lord Manor and we all all you know for instance we're in South Korea we all give ourselves a group hug <laughs> and, you know when you say rap you know it's it's just part of the process because you put so much of yourself into this whole job mm-hmm. you know i mean not in terms of our reporting but just the energy required and particularly with television because I am a former newspaper reporter, so the ideal for me of just turning up with a notebook and a pen or, a, you know, in the, in the generation of the times when I was a newspaper reporter when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, <laughs> a uh, cassette recorder, um, you know, it, that was all that was required and the photographer would roll in and take the shot and that would be it. But with TV, you need constant images. Mm-hmm. You need to be 
with a team of people. You need to be working together. It's long hours. It's stressful. We've had, for instance, when we were in uh, the US in October 2022, our key talent, our key guests suddenly succumbed to COVID. And we had to scramble madly to find someone else. And as it turned out, the someone else ended up giving us, ironically and sadly, a much better story. Nature of the beast, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's, you know, learning to think quickly, as we all do as journalists, you know, be flexible, be adaptable. But, you know, at the end of the day, we are very privileged, I think, this profession, because in my case, I would say over the years of being a journalist, I've been given a front row seat to history being made. Love that. And I would also argue that I've, you know, if anything on my headstone will be, my legacy hopefully will be that I attempted to give a platform to people whose voices are not normally heard. Wonderful. Final question for me then, what's next for the 51%? Well, uh, we are looking to head to Mexico, Uh, in the coming months because for the first time ever the two leading presidential candidates are female Mm -hmm. and you know what we do when we head into these countries is we use a news peg to give us the opportunity to do a state of the nation if you like you know a look at where do things stand when it comes to women's rights and obviously femicide is a big problem in Latin America we reported on that in Argentina where we talked to the founders near Unamenos uh, right. very well-known uh, uh, protest movement which uh, made a stand against femicide. So, you know, we'll be talking to people about that. We'll also be talking about the issue of, uh, you know, uh, Indigenous communities, uh, you know, the inequality within Mexican society. So we're very much looking forward towards that. Uh, we also have uh, an American election coming up, so we'll be watching that very closely. Also, not to mention European parliamentary elections, which itself will have an impact on women's rights, particularly if we see, as is being predicted, a shift to the right. Uh, So there's a lot on our plate and we'll keep doing what we're doing. Well, all the best with it then. Um, And thank you so much for coming on the show, Annette. It's been a real blast to have you on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jacob. My takeaway for today is that when the going gets tough with an important news series, you need to look within to remind yourself the reason that you started it in the first place. What kicked off the 51% 10 years ago was a realisation that these were legitimate news stories that needed to be told. And that's what's still keeping Annette going now, even as different forces are working against her. Whether it's the rise of conservative views amongst young men, or the toll of seeing what her interviewees have had to go through. But what did you make of today? I'd love to know. Find me on LinkedIn, Twitter slash X at JPG Journalism, or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search and subscribe to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That's all we have time for this week, though. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.